And welcome to Ethernautica, an actual play podcast playing a homebrew Call of Cthulhu and Space 1889 game. I am your game master, and joining me today, going clockwise around the table... Hi, I'm Stylus, and I am playing Daisuke Hana, and I am also playing Dr. Jimmy Dean. Hi, I'm Kelly, and I'm playing Rose Worthington. Hi, I'm Mike, I'm playing Ralph. Hi, I'm Morgan, and I'm playing Kestian. And let's jump right into it with a recap of our last episode. Last time on Ethernautica. Dr. Frankenstein completes her experiment, but something seems to have gone horribly wrong. Having used the Yithian mind transfer device, the body of the doctor starts to transform into some sort of hideous monster. Daisuke Hane, Rose Worthington, Dr. Jimmy Dean, Sparks, Alana Rogers, Hellcat Pauline, and Kessian flee for their lives, only to regroup at Alana's home. Kessian then opens the portal that will begin the journey home for our heroes, and who should already be there but Sir Ralph Maddock and a floating blue stranger. Daisuke Hana, Rose Worthington, Ralph Maddock, Kessian, Hellcat Pauline, and Dr. Jimmy Dean are in a black, featureless void. As far as the eye can see is black. The floor seems perfectly smooth and featureless. There are no reflections, although when you walk over it, it sounds like you're walking on glass. Solid plate of glass. There is a being floating in this void who is glowing bright blue, a vague outline of human features with a face more implied than physically there. Welcome. I see you've all made it here. Welcome to my very first memory says the blue being in front of you, and it spreads its wings. They are huge wings that taper off at the end to become indistinct. I need everyone except for Kessian to roll comprehension at this point. Uh, Dr. Jimmy rolled 22. Rose got 21. 16. Nine for dice game. So everyone who rolled above 15 understands what they are seeing. And what they are seeing is some kind of distortion in space. As you move, you leave a visual image of the body part you are moving. As you are walking, you are leaving behind you images of yourself. You are seeing time. You are seeing through time. You are seeing, and if you concentrate hard enough, you can see your future movements as it happens. More than that, you see in the black void floating above you, other individuals, objects, and places, places you knew, places you've never seen before, vague impressions of memory. You see human beings floating through this, still and rotating, leaving images of themselves as they go. You see Tommy from the train. You see Dr. Maplefield. You see Margaret Van Fleet. You see many individuals who you have known. And the blue being looks at Ralph and says, Thank you for keeping me safe. Does Ralph have anything to say to this blue being? No. I need Kessian to do a willpower and discipline roll. Four. You manage to concentrate on these crystals 
to hold this bubble of space-time together. Do you want to make a comment to your companions? Um, alright, we need to get moving again. Why? Do you see how these crystals are shrinking? If they vanish, there goes our chances of getting out of here. So how do we, how do we do this? We need to find a portal and go through it. The being is one of the only things that isn't leaving impressions of itself as it moves, and it is in front of all of you simultaneously. It always has been there, and it also never was there. It isn't there, and it is. It looks at Daisuke and it says, Hello, the artist. I have become an artist as well. Uh, uh, hello. Are we leaving soon? (laughs) I have created a tapestry through the timelines, moving backwards from my first memory to bring you all here. And it is in front of Kessian, and it takes a black part of this crystal where the Zothian had been, and it breaks it off with its mind, crushes it into the shape of a wavy black dagger, and it sends it off above you to an image, a contrailing image of Daisuke wearing a black footman's livery, and it goes into his hand, and the body disappears. It's standing in front of Rose, it always has been, and it never was, simultaneously, and it draws out the second Rocketman pistol that you have not fired yet, and it sends it up into the sky towards a picture of Rose floating through the black void, and puts it in her hand, and she disappears. And we are truly honored, Great One, but I'm afraid unless you can also suspend these crystals, we are not equipped to stay here, and we must continue on. Yes, you must continue onward forever and ever. The creature takes a bunch of random objects floating above it, and it sends it off through, If you, since those of you who have high enough perception can see that it's sending it off into time moments where you can see George Curtis from the society, and he's getting letters on his desk. He's picking them up and like, how did these get here? You're seeing Margaret Van Fleet picking up letters from her desk. And you're seeing colorful streams intertwining and blending together in order to create scenarios that you remember from your life. And it is in front of, and always has been in front of, and never has been in front of, Ralph. And it says, are you ready to go home? Is it time? Yes. Hey, I see what you did there. (laughs) I I don't want to go home. It's terrible over there. (laughs) Where do you want to go? I can send you to where you'll be happy. It opens two areas of space and time, and through one of them, it looks like the jungles of Venus, with an American flag flying over a military compound. On the other, it looks like the Boston Commons. Why are you looking at me? (laughs) Uh, I'm looking at Jimmy Dean. Oh, this is directly directed at me. Yeah. Okay. What do I remember about those moments? You remember your service on Venus, and it was where your life had purpose, and you remember happy feelings about that place. Hmm. Okay. You're also holding a giant fucking arm from you stole from a pirate. True. Mm-hmm. What is he in the other place? The Boston Commons. It looks like an old version of the Boston Commons. There are no motor cars going around. Goodbye. It waves to all of you. 
It's like, I hope you make it home safely. And it wraps its wings around Ralph and is gone. Hellcat Pauline walks through the portal. Rose looks to Daisuke and says, shall we? I see no reason why not. Unless he stops her, they'll go through the portal. Okay. I'm standing next to the portal, but I'm not going to go through it until I made sure everyone else goes through because I have some idea what's happening as opposed to everyone else. Does Jimmy Dean go through the portal? Jimmy Dean will follow Yes. Okay, so you're the last one out? Uh, yeah, but if... Yeah, obviously, though, I'm keeping an eye on the portal, too, because I don't want to be standing next to it when it closes. I want to make sure I get through as well. Daisuke and Rose, just roll a straight-up d6. Three. Two. Rose, you are on a cold, grassy field. Tall, hearty grass that grows in the far north of the British Isles. There is a fog, a thick pea super. There are standing stones around you and an archaeological dig site. Do I recognize this place? You do recognize this place. This is one of the first digs that you ever accompanied the Van Fleet family on. There are workmen carrying wheelbarrows of earth. There are intellectuals sitting at tables, gently brushing artifacts from a very different age, the Hyperborean Age when the sea levels were lower and the land masses in this area of the world were larger. You see Margaret nearby going over an ancient manuscript with her father, Dr. Richard Van Fleet. This is a well-known memory to you. You are wearing the dress you remember yourself wearing at this point in time. What do you do? I'm having a moment of like, I don't want to go through all of this all over again. <laughs> but um, she'll she'll try to go through the memory as she remembers it. So I suppose she would go over to talk to Margaret and Mr. Henfleet. You go over to talk to your two friends. And just to be clear, you remember this, but also you have this weird feeling of deja vu as if this has happened before. But you dismiss it because this is clearly reality. Clearly. Yes. This reality has such a firm concept for me right now. Yes. So, oh, Rose, come over here. I want you to look at this. Uh, yes. And Margaret shows you this manuscript, and it's like, this was written in Ireland in the 4th century. It tells tales of the Hyperborean Age, of the kingdoms of Simera and Hyperborea, and the wizards that they had there, and other such things. It's quite interesting that a lot of these drawings of the standing stones are identical to what we're seeing here. And she points at one of the standing stones with its spiral engravings and its various carved scripts that are supposedly Atlantean, but you're not quite really sure if you believe in Atlantis at this okay. point, but wrote, but Margaret certainly does. Mm -hmm. So she's talking to you and she says, Rose, are you all right? I am feeling a little out of sorts. You, there's, there's blood on your face. She reaches to feel. There's a trickle of blood on your nose, but also on your cheek. And it's like, dearie, and she pulls out a handkerchief and is like wiping at your eyes. And it's like, are you all right? You, seriously, I think you should lie down. I, I think that is a good suggestion. Roll perception and alertness. Eight. 
there's someone standing behind Margaret. It is a woman in a red dress with your features, except pale and not particularly alive looking. She is staring at you with cold features and she's pointing at you accusingly. I'll, I'll watch to see if she moves. She doesn't move, but suddenly there are more versions of her, versions of you, who are appearing in your peripheral vision closer to you. Roll comprehension. 17. You realize this is not reality. I don't know why, but that's kind of reassuring. <laughs> but it still fills you with dread. Mm-hmm. Roll sanity. <clears throat> I'm afraid to wonder what lucid dreams do to people in this I was going to say, can I... Because Margaret was, like, patting at my face or whatever. Can I grab her hand while this is happening? Yes. I want to grab her hand and, like, hold it really tight. Like, here's something to hold on to, Me even too. if it's not real. <laughs> Nine. You grab Margaret's wrist and pull her towards you, and you startle her. And you startle her to the point where the thing she was hiding behind her back is exposed, and it's a knife. It's one of her intricately aligned knives of unknown origin, and she seems very angry that you that she, that she you startled her, and she's like, you really shouldn't have done that, and she raises up her knife, ready to stab you in the face. This won't hurt a bit. I will try to get away from her? Or actually, you're the one holding on to her, so you can let go of her. Yeah, I'm gonna let go and, like, I have English boxing. Can I punch her? You can punch her. Just punch her. <laughs> you, you've been able to... Oh, bro. <laughs> Just fuck this bitch up. Ah, six. That's okay. She only rolled a four. So you punch her, and she staggers backwards and disappears. <sighs> okay. In like a puff of smoke. Hands on your shoulders. They're your hands. They're pale. That's not helpful. From behind you. Roll sanity. Seven. Well, you still realize that this is not real life. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to this phantom you? Grab its wrists and bend forward, trying to flip it over me. Okay, roll me an unarmed, yeah. or, uh, uh, yeah, just unarmed and uh, agility. Ah, four. <clears throat> uh, well, normally that wouldn't work, but its arms come off in your hands. That's fine. And they are just meat chunks at this point so now you're holding two of your own arms and it feels like it would you actually feel this pressure on your own wrists as if your hands are oh, touching you. I drop them immediately then. Okay. <laughs> and as you look around all the standing stones are gone Margaret's gone Mr. Van Fleet is gone you just see a grassy foggy field full of your dead bodies looking at you I'm gonna call out Daisuke Hana! Okay, you do that. Because <laughs> the last time I remember, we were hooked in arms, and I hope that he can hear me. Roll sanity again. 14! Okay, that makes it. Everything disappears and everything goes black. Daisuke, you are at a festival. It is a beautiful summer day. It is approaching evening. There are fireworks. There are stalls and vendors. And there are people, your friends, who are guarding these vendors. And it is a beautiful, wonderful time in your life. It is a wonderful time. And you are happy. 
there, and then your brother comes up to you and sa- and says, "Are you ready for the performance?" And he hands you some plates, and he's holding several uh, balancing sticks. I'll take them from his uh, from his hands and just take one of the sticks and bop them on the head a little bit. Always. Okay. Okay. So you go over to a little stage that's set up, and there's music, and uh, other people are doing juggling acts and things like that, and. You get up there, and your brother starts the spinning some of these plates and holding them on his palms, and he's just uh, doing this idly, getting ready for the performance. And roll comprehension. Seven. There are people standing behind the stage where there shouldn't be people right now. And I use the word people kind of lightly, because really all these look like to you are amorphous black masses of robes with white masks on, and they are just surrounding the back half of the stage. While holding the plates and the uh, plates and the sticks, I'll just casually walk over and kind of shoo them away. They don't move. I poke one of them with the with the stick. It goes through it. I poke my brother and say, "We're getting out of here." <laughs> okay. He just looks at you and like, "What? We need to do the show." Do you not see these things? He looks at where you're pointing and says, What things? The curtains? I bop him on the head. Stop bopping me! If you don't like the curtains, you can get new ones. He just he says, Wait a minute. And then he just walks away. Okay, well, so your brother calls out after you, and then you hear, Ugh! Ugh, Damn it. Do you look back? Yes. Okay, one of the black figures has an arm now out of the robes and is stabbing your brother in the shoulder. What am I rolling? What am I doing? What am I doing? So, you're doing a comprehension again. Yes. Rolling! Three! This is some weird shit, but it's obviously real. This is real life. Okay. And your brother is being stabbed by some weird-ass monks. Do I have any weapons on me other than plates and sticks? Of course you do. Okay. You have all kinds of engraved knives. Then I just grab one of my knives, like, grab two <clears throat> knives and just dive at the group. Okay. How many are you stabbing at once? Ugh. As many as you will allow me to. <laughs> Three. Got it. Okay, so roll your agility and your knifey skill with a step down penalty for the knifey skill. Two, okay. two, two step down. Uh, four. Jesus Christ. And uh, roll it again. Uh, nine. Mm-hmm. And ten. One of them, the one, the first one you stab, the one who has a knife in your brother, you stab it and it just kind of ignores it. The other two, you stab more forcefully, and they disappear in a puff of smoke. Ah, that is it. I just have to stab harder. <laughs> brother, stab them with me. I, to- brother. I toss him a knife. Okay, your brother grabs it, and he stabs the one behind him, and both the monk and your brother disappear in a puff of smoke. Ah, oh, damn it, that was wrong knife. <laughs> what happened to the knives? The knives clatter to the floor. Even the one that he stabbed with? Yeah. Okay, I can pick him up. Okay. Precious things. All around you, there are people looking at what's going on on the stage, and they're applauding. Oh, politely. I bow. Yes. Roll comprehension again. Or no, actually, roll sanity. Six. You start to re- you start to think that this might not be real life. This might be a dream or a vision or some kind of weird-ass drug trip. Is this the real life? Or is this just fantasy? (laughs) The sky goes black, and the world starts to close in around you, as if you have a small candle in front of you, and it is 
the only light around you, and then it expands again, and you're in a different place. You haven't moved, but you're in a different place. You hear the rocking of a boat, and you remember... Actually, roll comprehension again. Twelve. Okay, you're on the, uh, you're on the Etheridge. It looks considerably worse for wear. There are barnacles all over the place, and you're in the same corridor outside your room, and there is a light coming from Professor Porter's room, and you remember everything at this point. You've been on this goddamn boat three times now. Do I remember that time with, the? Uh, yeah. Was... Oh. Even though that wasn't me. Even though that wasn't you. Oh, shit. Okay. As a matter of fact, you remember that timeline as well, which is weird. Brock? <laughs> he actually calls out for Brock. Okay. Is he still wearing the tiara? Yes, I am. He is Sorry. now. Actually, no. You are wearing your suit that you were wearing when you were on the Etheridge the first time. Your Japanese businessman suit. And you have your duffel bag with you, which you <laughs> left on the damn boat. All it had was extra clothes. Yeah, and he and you hear a voice coming from Professor Porter's room, uh, along with the clinking of cups and saucers, and he says, Daisuke, is that you? Yes, it is me. Well, I'm just pouring the tea. Come on in. Out of curiosity, I want to open the door of my room. Sure. Is there anything in there special? Yes. You're in there. Am I in there, or is this my brother? That's a good question. He's wearing your suit, and he looks rather dead, but he's still looking at you, accusingly. Tafrak, close the door. <laughs> okay. Walks straight to Dr. Porter's room, because just... Uh, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> you don't want to deal with that? I don't want to deal with that. Like Roll sanity. 23. Nice! You realize this is bullshit. This is bullshit. You should not be on this goddamn boat. This goddamn boat shouldn't even goddamn exist. And you are pissed the fuck off to the point where it's like your anger dissolves the goddamn Etheridge and you are gone. Is the is the doctor still there? No, you are just... The whole situation is gone. It's almost like you pass out from anger and you leave this reality. Jimmy Dean, you are standing in a corridor. It is a metal corridor. It is about 70 degrees in this corridor, and it is amazing how cool it is. It is about 40 degrees cooler than it is outside. There's a bit of condensation running down the walls, and the walls are a little bit rusty, but you know, on Venus, what can you do? You're in your uniform. You're carrying a dossier. There are people passing you in the corridor, smiling. Colleagues, friends, co-workers. And they are just smiling and waving politely, and you have a job to do. You get a roll comprehension. Sure, do it. Uh, 18. You initially feel like this is the most normal thing in the world, but then you realize that this is not what you remember last doing. So you realize that this is not the real life. Got it. What's on the dossier? Well, you you are outside the door, room 101, where you have a patient waiting. Okay. No, but what's in the dossier? What's it say? What, uh, who, like, I have a dossier, which is a a document, so what does it say? Uh, yes, uh, you open it up and it says Maxwell Hart. He's a German officer. He was captured by the border. He's a guerrilla soldier, uh, part of the holdout German occupation forces, uh, out of, uh, Venusburg. I'm going to, I'm going to open the door. 
Okay, there are guards standing in there, and there's a dentist chair, and he's not facing you, but there's a man in a worn, torn-up, heavily patched old German uniform there, and his back is to you, and the guards stand up with relief and saying, Oh, okay, you're here. I'm going on break. Have fun. And he leaves. I close the door. Mm-hmm. I lock it. Mm-hmm. I just casually walk toward the front of this person. Okay. Roll perception alertness. Nine. You notice the man sitting in the chair is you. He's strapped down, his head is still, his mouth is held open by a brace, and he is looking at you and he looks very scared. You know, I'd, I'll, if this was any other day, I might be surprised. And then he just <laughs> breaks out his tools and just starts to do a cleaning on the teeth. Okay, you're doing a cleaning on the teeth. Roll sanity. Four. You're doing a cleaning on yourself, and... Digging sausage bits out of my teeth. <laughs> my teethers. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting like, sauerkraut and sausage out of there. This is very, very stereotypical, by the way. <laughs> yes. It's almost as if this is from some kind of stereotype of a German, from your imagination. And he starts flailing around, like, shaking the chair, and he's spasming now. And kind of like, there's like foaming at the mouth and stuff like that, and he's like having a seizure. Cool. I still cleaning. That ain't gonna save you right now. That ain't gonna help you right now. Roll sanity again. Seven. There's something coming up his throat now. It's kind of a mass of like red flesh that pushes out of his mouth past your tools, snaps away the brace, and has is a solid trunk mass of a tentacle type thing with many little ones naking off to the side of it. And on the front of it, it opens this maw and hisses at you and shoots toward you. Roll avoid harm. You dodge the uh, the first one, but its little tendrils are like snaking at you again. Roll sanity. Five. You realize this doesn't exist, and everything fades to black. Cassian, you're in a tree. It is a beautiful summer day. You're in a breadfruit tree. Its red bark and red moss are soft beneath you. The purple and blue leaves overhead have dappled sunlight coming down upon you. And you're eating a blue breadfruit with one hand and scrolling through holographic books with the other hand. This could be virtually any year of my entire childhood and much of my young adulthood. This is correct. And there is a sleeping cat in your lap, and you are happy. It is a cat of Uthor. Is it a black cat? No, it's brown, with <laughs> one white ear. And it's it's having a dream, and it's moving its head back and forth and going, you know, it's, it's warm in your lap. Suddenly, your personal assistant comes down and opens a little window by your head, and it says, you have class in 10 minutes. Well, hopefully this isn't um, the last day of the semester and I, and I realize I have not attended this class all semester. You have not prepared for a class today. And in fact, you forgot there was a class today. 
Well, I don't believe I'd need to do anything like get dressed, so this isn't terribly much of a concern, provided I'm near enough to the university. So you can see the university off in the distance. It's literal ivory towers coming out of the forest, and you could are high enough up in the canopy to the point where you could probably swing down and get to a path that'll take you there fairly quickly. And you have Brachiator, so you can just swing down with the same ease of walking. Except I have a cat in my lap. That's a problem. That's true. You do have a sleeping cat in your lap. What do you do? (laughs) I would imagine that, unfortunately, cats must be disturbed occasionally, so I I just gently go to get down because the cat will get offended and leave if I so much as twitch, so... So what do you do? Do Do you shove the cat off of you? Do you pick it up? Uh, just squirm a little bit and... The cat's head snaps up and looks to the side. And you hear in your head, Squirrel! (laughs) That's dogs, not cats. Oh, you hear, Bird! So you hear its thoughts in your head. Because it's wearing one of those crystal collars that your people have made to communicate with these things. This is not a stray, time-wandering cat. This is a domesticated, time-wandering cat. So I assume Kitty gets off my lap? It does, and it runs off down the tree, and actually through the tree's trunk, (laughs) and phases into down at the bottom of the trunk. Your holographics close, and you can go to class. Alright, I do that, presumably without the Tarzan yell as I swing down. You gently swing down to the path and start making your way. Are you running or are you walking at a brisk pace? Walking, I suppose. It sounds like I don't need to run. Okay, you're walking down the path, and the forest begins to get thicker as you're going, so thick that it's blocking out the light from the sun. And you don't remember this path? By the way, rule comprehension. Okay, so six. Okay, this seems a little weird, but you realize, you know, you haven't been to the entire forest. And a lot of times it's not all that clear. So you keep walking, and it gets darker and darker until it goes completely black. When your eyes adjust, you're not on the path anymore. You're in a cave. And I imagine I somehow completely missed when the ground underneath went from dirt to stone. Uh, yeah, you did. As a matter of fact, it's still dirt for a couple more steps in front of you, but you are definitely in a cave. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's nothing like this on my walk to school, no matter how much I stray off the path. Nope. You have a uh, light, a holographic light in your prosthetic. Well, not prosthetic, but your implants. So you can turn that on if you'd like. Good idea. Yes, I will do that. Okay, roll perception and alertness. Time travelers don't need perception. Okay, you don't know where you are, and <laughs> casting the light about the room frantically, you just don't you don't see anything coherent. You can't even tell which way is forward at this point because you're is all turned around. Is the light around. even touching the edges it is. of the cave? It is. Oh. But one thing you do hear is a growling sound. This would be a good time to well, first of all, camouflage. Uh huh. And second, back up <laughs> to a wall. Okay, you do so. Roll willpower. Seven. So a being is walking along through this cave and comes into your field of view. It is holding a crystal light source. It is white furred with blue skin with glowing yellow eyes. It is a Morlock. It is your natural predator. Roll another willpower. So seven altogether. It stops and it's sniffing around where you are. It doesn't see you. Mm-hmm. 
But then again, Morlocks have generally poor eyesight. They hunt primarily by smell. And how physically formidable are Morlocks? They are your natural predators. They are huge. They're like silverback gorillas. If silverback gorillas were on beef steroids. So it's looking in your general direction and sniffing. Roll so, another willpower. Three. You freak out and you drop your cloak and it roars at you and bears its claws. Roll sanity. 11. This is not real. You are not here right now. You went time traveling and you don't, shouldn't even have these implants right now. They wouldn't have let you take those. And you've never, you would never go in a cave. You are terrified of caves. How did you end up in a cave? This can't be real. Everything fades away, and you have the familiar sensation of being pulled towards your destination. Sir Ralph. Wings envelop you, and even though it's closing in around you, you feel like a fog lifting from you, and you wake up in a field, standing in front of the blue creature, who you know as Brock. This is a very familiar place. You are in the Summer Isle, and roll perception and alertness. Five. You hear the sounds of a festival, and Brock points towards the fairgrounds that you recognize very well. And Brock says, This is a reality where none of the unpleasantness happened. This is a place where you can be happy. It's my thanks to you for keeping me safe. I mean, is that it? Like, is there no other choice? You're home. Do you want something else? I mean, is this really home? In all respects, it is the same. What about the cave and the portal? It's still there. It hasn't been excavated. Can I leave the fair? Yes. And Brock points in the other direction to the manor house. I guess I go to the fair, then. You People you know, people you grew up with, are welcoming you there. They see you, and it's just another festival. It is home. It is a place where you belong. Have I been to this kind of festival? You officiate at these festivals. This, this, this is You're the lord of this village. Okay. I mean, does this look like a memory, or is this a new experience? It's a new experience. Roll comprehension. Numbers? 17. Yeah. This is a new experience, but very familiar in terms of people and places. It is, yes, and things, and pies. Pies being baked. This is a reality that you recognize as your own. You feel very at place here, and people are welcoming to you, and deferential to you as their lord. I just walk around. Do I see anyone... Familiar? You see, everyone here is familiar. You grew up with these people. You officiated is at... Brock still falling? Yes. No one seems to be looking at Brock. Myers and... Myers and... Miss Worthington would be here. They went to where it makes them happy. They're from a different reality. What? In their universe, the Summer Isles don't exist. Only in storybooks. It's an ideal place. A place too good for their world. I brought you there because I needed you to meet them so that you together could make me. And you look confused at it. Brock opens an image of 
the nest on the other side of the portal, the green place where the nest and the battlefield existed. This was my nest. I was an egg. I was not conscious. I had no voice, no understanding of my existence. My first memory is of you hatching me. I looked back in time, down the timeline, and I saw the events that led to that happening, and I made those events happen. Also, my species is nourished by friction in the timeline. You would call them paradoxes. You are my first memory, Sir Ralph, and I'm very grateful to you. And as a result, I went back in time and I talked to you along during my incubation. Okay. I hope you'll be happy here. Is there pancakes? Yes, there are many pancakes. I'm good then. And as Sir Ralph approaches the pancake eating contest, of which he needs to officiate at, Daisuke Hana, Rose Worthington, Hellcat Pauline, and Kessian, you all have a metallic tang that also somehow tastes of orange peels in your throat. And your mouth like your mouth tastes kind of dry and nasty, like old carpet. Like when you wake up, you have this musky feeling and Rose, your shoulder hurts because you got shot with a shotgun in the shoulder mm-hmm. and your armor's all messed up and you're also kind of wet now. Everybody roll, everybody is. <laughs> Physically, your bodies feel damp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no words I can say. Everybody realizes that they're lying on a grass field, which is slightly damp from dew because it is early morning. Hellcat Pauline gets up to her feet and is dusting off her pants because they have grass stains on them now. Mudding off her pants because everyone's soaked. Yeah. And you dust off. Are we soaked or are we just damp? Damp. So she's smacking her pants with her hat (laughs) because grass stains. Rose is also trying to get up. (laughs) Okay. Hellcat Pauline offers you a hand to help you up. She will take it. Okay. Am I still arm in arm with, uh, with, with Rose? No, you're just splayed out on the lawn. By the way, you are wearing... A torn ice cream white zoot suit with clear signs of chainmail in it now. It was gray. You said it was gray. Okay, it is a gray zoot suit. Okay, so you get up, you get up, and you're all very groggy, and it is early morning, and Rose, you recognize where you are. I was gonna ask, I'm like, looking around, where are we? You're in the Boston Commons. Ah, good. And thank you for listening to our season finale of Ethernautica. This has been the finale for season one. Thank you so much for listening with us, and I hope you'll join us for season two. Also, we have some one-shots and other material coming up soon. I remain your Game Master. You can follow me on Twitter at double underscore deadline. Joining me today was Kelly. Hi, this is Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at MightBeKelly or on the guild's Vixens of the Void. At the Guildcast. And Stylus. I'm Stylus. You can catch me at Hey Laughing Boy on Twitter. You can also check out my other project, Dragon Ball Rebellion. And you can catch that on Twitter as well at Dragon Ball Rebel. And again, I'd like to thank Mike for playing the role of Sir Ralph Maddock. And I'd like to thank Morgan for playing the role of Kessian. And the role of Dr. Jimmy Dean was played by Stylus. And speaking of Stylus, make sure to check out his other shows at Novelty Stylus SoundCloud. 
links in the show notes, both of which, fantastic new shows, Pirates of Wild Space, and Random Item Procurement. And all music used in this podcast was made by the very talented Kevin McLeod. Uh, you can find his work at incompetech.com. Full description and credits in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, see you again soon. Bye. <laughs>
Myers and Miss Worthington would be here. They went to where it makes them happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lying Smurf.